Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Great. Are you guys excited to be here in church this morning? Yes. I am so excited to be here because usually I'm on the other side with all the little kids hanging out and doing worship and preaching there. But today I get a chance to come here and actually share the word and preach with you this morning here. So I am super excited about that. And because I'm here uh, and because I have a, an extended time with you today, uh, I'm excited because I also get to clarify a couple things about who I am that uh, there may be some rumors about some stuff going on here. So I get to address those here uh, this morning. The first thing that I want to uh, say publicly so that everyone Everyone knows is that I am not American. <laughs> I know that we have a couple of pastors here who are from America. They're great guys. I love them. They're amazing. Um, but for some reason, I think people think that I, they got hired. They hired another American, me. I'm not American. I'm from Canada. I grew up in South Central Scarborough. Woo! I have... Um, I lived there, I lived all over the city from Etobicoke to Toronto to Aurora, like I've lived all over here. So I am Canadian. Yes, that's who I am. Um, the second thing that I want to share to kind of, uh, Canadian, what? I'm Ontarian, yes. <laughs> Torontonian, there you go. Um, the other thing that I wanted to clarify is that I'm not Andy Cherry. I know that we have a couple Andys on staff here, and oftentimes when people are calling us or sending emails, they get us confused, you know? And I can understand how that would happen, you know? Like, you have two guys who are two young guys, you know? Two good-looking guys who are here. Uh, we both wear glasses, so, you know, I can understand how that would be confusing. Um, but I, I just wonder if there's not a way that we could differentiate myself and Andy Chair. You know, I wonder if there's some kind of a characteristic that would set us apart from each other, you know? Anybody have any ideas? I wonder what that could be. Mm. Oh, I think I got it. What if we called one of us Black Andy and White Andy? <laughs> that makes sense, right? Oh, I'm, I'm looking for the Black Pastor Andy, not the White Pastor Andy. That makes sense. How many people think that that's a good idea? Yeah. And nobody puts up their hand, right? Which is okay, because that was the whole point. <laughs> Part of our message today, as we continue in our book of John, is we get to this portion in Scripture where Jesus is offending people, right? And I said that little joke there just to kind of offend you, and I'm offending you because I'm trying to prove a point. But when we get to the Scripture that we're going to look at today, we see that Jesus is offending people because he wants to correct their belief. He wants their belief in him to be right, not what it already is. And so... Let's take a look at our, our passage that we have here today. Uh, we are in John chapter 6, uh, verses 60 to 70. Uh, if you have your Bible, feel free to open up. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. Uh, we also have free Wi-Fi here, so if you guys want to pull out your tablets or your phones, you can do it that way. And if anybody here actually wants a Bible, uh, you head out to the Connect Center, and we would love to give you a free Bible uh, on your way out. So, John chapter 6, verse 60. This is what it says. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But if some of you do not believe me, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. 
At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve, who would later betray him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just thankful, Lord, uh, for who you are and that you understand that belief in you is paramount of importance. And so you take extreme measures sometimes in our perspectives to make sure that what we believe is correct, not what is comfortable. And so I just want to pray tonight that as we, uh, sorry, this morning, as we go through this uh, scripture, this passage together, that you would open our hearts and our minds to see who you truly are. You'd cut through our information blindness so that we can have a deep understanding of, of who you are and what you mean to our life so that we can take appropriate actions and affect our eternity in, in the best way possible. So we thank you, Father, and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just to give you a little context right now, uh, right now we're in the middle of the series called Believe, and Believe is a, a journey through the Gospel of John. And we uh, have been talking for the last few weeks that John was written for a specific purpose, that people would believe uh, in who Jesus was. And the main crux of that comes from John chapter 20 at the end of the book, where it says this, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by that believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So all this thing that we're studying today is believing that Jesus is the son of God. And so here we are now in chapter 6 in John. And as we go through and take a little bit of a, a, a look back and where we came from, uh, we look at chapter 2 and we see that in that period, in that part of the scripture, Jesus was uh, it's water to wine. Jesus was a sommelier. And I like that word because my father-in-law is actually a sommelier, so I know what that means. And so he takes a whole bunch of water, he turns it into a whole bunch of wine, and it's the best wine ever. Then we go to chapter 4, and we see that Jesus is a great speaker. He speaks to the Samaritan woman in an individual conversation, and then he speaks to the whole village. And as a result of his speaking, many people come to believe in who he is. And then also in that chapter, he heals the official son. Then we jump up to chapter 5, and we see that there is another healing, an amazing healing of a man who was lame. And then in chapter 6, we see that Jesus has fed 5,000 people. And as Pastor Kevin, oh, am I not loud enough? Oh, okay. Um, as we see in chapter uh, 6, he's feeding the 5,000. And as Pastor Kevin said a couple weeks ago, it actually ended up being probably closer to 20,000 people. Jesus fed Air Canada Center, which is crazy, right? And then to top it all off, he walks on water. Right? So there's these amazing things that have been happening up until chapter 6. And as Dave mentioned last week, that we see that there's this uh, juxtaposition that's happening in the scriptures. Jesus does some amazing things, and then he has this discourse to explain it. He does these amazing things to show people who he is, and then he uses his great teaching ability to share the truth about who he is. And so that's happening here, that's happening here up until chapter 6. And then we get to this point in verse 60 where he's done it, he said it, but people still aren't, get, still aren't getting it. So Jesus is like, I'm done playing. Let's get real. And so he does this here, and he's offending people by what he says. And he's doing this to make sure that our belief in him is correct. It's not just comfortable. He wants to make sure that we believe the right thing about him, not just the thing that is the easiest. So as we unpack further, further, we see in this particular section of scripture that there's three main offenses that Jesus is doing, three main ways that he's offending the people around him in order to correct 
their belief in him. So the first one, um, in verse 61, we see uh, there it says that Jesus aware that some of his disciples were complaining. Now, this context, we look at disciples, and from our perspective, we look and say, okay, Jesus had 12 disciples or apostles, and that's what it was. But here we see that there was this large group of people. Again, going back to the wedding, to the miracles, and all this discourse, he has all of these great people great crowd of people who are following him all over the place. And so in this context, we see that the word disciple actually has two meanings. The first meaning is it's the people who actually believe and follow him and who he is. And the other one is that there's this larger crowd that was mentioned in verse 22, a larger crowd of people who are kind of following him and they're not really sure, but there's a bunch of reasons why maybe I should just hang out with this guy for a little while uh, to see what's going on here. And so we look at this from our perspective and we're like, okay, wait a minute. Jesus is doing all of his stuff. Now he has this crowd of hundreds, maybe thousands of people following him. We're like, dude, you arrived. Like, that's it. That's the point, right? And you look at now from our perspective, you're like, okay, so you uh, healed people. You had these amazing talks. You uh, doing these crazy miracles. Now you have thousands of people. And our perspective, we're like, as a pastor, like, dude, you're done. Here we go. All we got to do now is we got to hire some pastors. Uh, we got to start a capital campaign. We're going to have this new church movement that we're doing. We're going to have these campuses all over the place. Uh, we're going to have this social media impact. We're going to ride this train to glory. It's going to be great. That's what we would do in this context if we had thousands of people following us. But Jesus, he does the opposite. He offends them. He has this great wave of momentum that's carried him this far. He looks at them and he's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to take this boat, I'm going to turn it around, and I'm going to allow this wave to crash on your perspective of who you think I am. I'm going to offend you to make sure that your belief is correct, not that it's comfortable. The offense that he has in this perspective, or this passage, comes from verse 53 before, where he says, you need to eat my body and you need to drink my blood. Like, eat my body and drink my blood. And it's appropriate that we just had communion here because, again, in the 21st century, we understand the metaphor of this concept, you know, the bread of life, and we understand the wine and, and the grape juice, and we use this as a reminder of, of who Jesus is and the sacrifice that he made for us. But in this context, there was no Last Supper. There was no crucifixion. There was no resurrection. So what they hear Jesus saying is, you want me to eat your body and drink your blood? It's like Jesus is starting some kind of cannibal vampire club. Like, really? Like, that's what you want me to do? And you can understand why they were offended by that, right? The word that they use for offense here, it's not that they didn't understand what he was saying. They comprehended it. It made sense to him. But it was just harsh, or it could be translated offensive. So again, Jesus is offending what they think they know. The second offense um, Jesus doesn't stop there. <laughs> there's, there's three huge offenses that he does. So we have this group of people who are following him, right? And they've been following him for a while. But when they follow him, they're following him for different reasons. Some people are following Jesus because he is a, a great speaker. They hear, it's like one of these prophets of old, hearing from God, coming down to the people and sharing this wonderful news. That's why some people are following him. Other people are following him because he's a sideshow. He does some crazy stuff, like miracles, illusions, like a, it's almost like a magic show. He like bends their minds in terms of their understanding of natural reality. Other people are following him because he's a server. I mean, they've tasted the wine and it's pretty good. 
He's fed the 5,000. I mean, Jesus makes a great fish sandwich. It is it's amazing. You guys would love it. The, the best fish sandwich you've ever had, right? Other people are following him because they think that he's a civil servant. They had this idea of who the Messiah is, and they think, this guy could lead us. He could be our king. He could be the person who helps us to come out from under the oppression that we have. They're following him for all of these different reasons, and Jesus knows this. And this is why he's offending them, because he knows they need to believe that he is their savior. It's not about speaking. It's not about the miracles. It's not about the food. It's not about politics. It's about their soul. It's about eternity. Again, Jesus is making sure that our beliefs are not comfortable, but that they're correct. And again, we have these beliefs and this idea of, okay, he's offending us. So he's offending us because we got this cannibal vampire show going on. Yeah, that's offensive. The next one, we have this offense that's like he's trying to change their perspective of who they believe he is, get behind their preconceived ideas. Yeah, that's offensive. But that is nothing compared to the main offense that he has that's coming up, the ultimate offense that he's going to lay on these people, on these people who are following him. You see, in this time that he's in, these people have an idea of who God is. They have this idea of who the Messiah is. And when Jesus is actually charged, uh, he's brought before the religious leaders. The reason why he's brought there is because of blasphemy, because he is blaspheming God. Again, they know who God is. They know who the Messiah is. And this guy who's doing the miracles, that's not him, right? And they know their idea of God, it's a, it's a big idea of God, right? They know this is, they know, we know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know the God who rescued us out of slavery in Egypt, we know the God of Elijah. We know the God of Moses. We know the God of King David. We know who God is, right? But the third offense, the one that's the most offensive for them, is that there would be this God, this all-powerful being. We know him throughout history. That he would allow himself to be arrested, tried, tortured, and executed by his creation. How is it that this God would be put on display, beaten and bruised, crushed and broken and bloody? To the Jewish mind, that is the ultimate offense. And Jesus mentions that in verse 62 when he says, Then again, what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? And the ascension that he's talking about here is not the ascension after he's resurrected and he comes again on the clouds. I mean, that's a, that's a happy dance. That's like, whoo, can I go with you on the ride up to the clouds? That's great. That's a happy one. That's not offensive. The offensive is when he's ascended to the cross, when he's crucified. One biblical scholar put it this way. They said, the moment of Jesus' greatest degradation and shame is the moment of his glorification. The path of his return to the glory he had with the Father before the world began. The hour when the servant of the Lord is despised and rejected by men, when he is pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, is the very portal to the time when he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. The cross is offensive. It offends who we think the Messiah should be. It offends who we think Jesus should be. It offends our idea of an all-powerful God. Jesus wanted to make sure that we got this right. And so if you're going to be offended, if you're going to be offended by Jesus, be offended for the right reasons. 
And we see here how this plays out in this idea of belief, actions, and eternity. What you believe affects your actions and your actions affect your eternity. Now, I want to make sure that you don't miss what it is that I'm saying here because when you look at this, you could automatically assume that our actions affect our eternity and that's not what Jesus is saying here, right? And he actually talks about that in verse uh, 63 where he says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We have a lot of people in the, in the culture who think that they understand, in that culture, they understood who Jesus was, and they understand how to get to God. You get to God because of what you do. We have these laws, we have these rules, and you have to follow them, and if you follow them, then your actions will lead to eternity, because that's how you do that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's not really true. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And you have these religious leaders. These people have dedicated their life to understanding the scriptures, understanding the laws. They've put rules in place. They have habits that they've formed. They have a whole society based on if you follow these rules, if you live your life a certain way, then you will get to God. Then you'll be reconciled. Then everything will be okay. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. Your actions don't lead, your actions don't lead there. It has to be your belief in me that gets you there. What is important is what you believe. It's important that our eternity isn't dependent on what we do. Our eternity is dependent on what Jesus did. He's saying to them, do you believe who I say that I am? Jesus' actions affect our eternity and our relationship with him. So who we believe Jesus to be, because of that we take certain actions that affect our eternity. Now, this leads to this concept, this idea called uh, disfluency. Now, I've been preparing for this message for a while now, and then also I helped to oversee the kids' ministry over there, and we've been looking at the parables of Jesus. And when you think about it, you're like, okay, so Jesus has this great message. He has this great hope for the people. Why does he make it so difficult for people to understand? Like, these parables, sometimes he's talking about stuff that doesn't make any sense. And people have to work at it, and they have to wrestle with it. Why doesn't he just make it simple? Why does this make it easy? Even here, he's, defend, he's offending people on purpose. Why is he doing that? And I learned recently about this idea of disfluency, which actually uh, helps to explain it. Disfluency, the purpose of disfluency is it helps us to deal with our information blindness. We get information all the time, and we like information that is, in this context, fluent, that is easy to understand, that is simple. Right, disfluency is information that is hard and difficult to understand. And often because of information being fluent, we have information blindness. And so this idea is, um, when we look at it, um, we want to make sure that we are working or struggling through the information that we have, that we take it and we work it so that we actually uh, come to the right conclusions in the end. Like I said before, in this context, these people are, have this particular understanding of Jesus. They think that he's a great speaker. They think that he's a sideshow. They think that he's a server who's going to give them food. Or they think that he's this great uh, civil servant, right? Now, uh, a simple definition, which actually I realize is not that simple, of disfluency uh, is this. It is manipulating information in front of us into a sequence of questions to be answered and decisions to be made. So what disfluency is, is manipulating the information in front of us and you're going to put that into a sequence of two things. You have questions that need to be answered, and you have decisions that need to be made. 
And that's what we see Jesus is doing here. Uh, this idea came from a couple of uh, professors, researchers uh, at Cornell and NYU, and they're trying to figure out how do people process information? Because again, fluent information is easy, it doesn't really matter, but how do we get behind how people process information? How do we get to information that actually changes their beliefs, which in terms could change their actions and change the results in your life? And so when we look at um, this uh, scripture here, we see that um, Jesus is using offense, Jesus is using disfluency. Uh, and he's using that so that people have an opportunity to reevaluate their beliefs because their beliefs are really, really, really important. He wants to make sure that they have the correct beliefs about who Jesus is. They want to make sure that they've gone and eliminated that information blindness. And so we look at this and we see there, there's two ways that this actually played out in this particular portion of scripture. The first one is with um, the false, I don't want to call them false disciples, they're kind of like the bandwagoners, you know, the guys who buy a Blue Jay hat because they happen to do on a winning streak for the last little while, like those are this large group of people. And they're the first ones. And so for here, we see that Jesus is asking them a question, then they have to answer the question, they have to make a decision, right? And so in verse 60, we see um, it says, many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? So they're, they're, they realize the offense, they realize the, the, the disfluency, and they're asking themselves, man, this is tough. How is anyone going to do this? Is he, is he really doing this, like, cannibal vampire thing? Like, really? Like, what do I do with that? And in the end, we see that because of their understanding, they do make a decision. In verse 66, at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. They answered the question of who this guy is. We thought we knew, we liked our expectations of who we thought we were, he was before, and it doesn't really fit into our worldview, so we're, we're gonna bounce, we're gonna leave, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not gonna deal with this guy anymore. They didn't believe he was the Messiah, and they chose to desert him, and as a result, their eternity was at stake. Now, the second group of people we have is the, is the 12, or the disciples, right? And after this, Jesus turns to the disciples. And I've always, I always thought this was fascinating. Again, he has hundreds, maybe thousands of people who are following him, right? And they're like, yeah, this doesn't work. We're going to desert him. And this whole group of people goes over here and leaves. And then Jesus turns to the 12. And I'm like, why didn't Jesus, like, okay, this group of people is leaving. Why didn't Jesus turn to the eleven? And say, hey, Judas, uh, sorry, you need to go with these guys over here. I think you're more in their kind of camp, and you can just go and follow them over here. And then I'm going to go, and I'm just going to deal with my 11, because these are the good guys. These guys aren't going to cause me any problems. These guys actually believe. But that's not what he does. He turns to the 12. And it's a small thing, but I think it's a significant thing. Because Jesus is so, he wants to make sure that everybody has a chance to believe. Even the people who may hurt him even the people who may cause him the, the pain. I mean, he knows that Jesus is going to betray him. It says it in the scriptures. But he gives him every opportunity to come to a right belief, every chance that he has. And I'm like, man, that's, that's significant. That is almost offensive, that God would allow that to happen. Because we wouldn't, right? So he turns to the 12. And in this context, uh, Jesus asks them a question in this process of disfluency. And he says... Are you also going to leave? Now, when you look through scriptures, when people are testing Jesus, like the religious leaders or the law people, they come to him and they ask him a question. And Jesus, you know, Jesus being Jesus, he always answers the question with a question, 
right? And so now he's asking his disciples a significant question. And for the disciples, it's significant because the disciples were there the whole time. This large group of people included the 12. So they were offended by Jesus as well. This whole cannibal vampire thing, that's offensive to anybody, right? When you take it to this idea of Jewish, um, Jewish uh, dietary laws, you know, kosher, like meat, uh, food that's clean or that's unclean, the moving of blood, and he's like, you want to do this cannibal vampire thing? Yeah, that's offensive. So the, the, the 12 were offended. And so in this context, he's saying, are you going to leave too? And he asked them a question. And Peter, being Peter, he's been around for a while. And he's like, when Jesus answers a question, he actually asks a question. So I'm going to answer Jesus' question with a question. So this is what Peter says to him. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? I'm like, yeah, that's boss. That's nice. You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And I like the version that is in the Amplified Bible. So the Amplified Bible, because the Bible is a translation, the Amplified takes all the different possibilities and puts it into one. And so this is what it says in the Amplified Bible. It says, we have believed, confidently trusted, and even more, we have come to know by personal observation that you are the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Are you going to leave? This is his answer. And I'm like, yes. He got it. He nailed it. He understands. This is belief. This is like a phrase that is like belief in action. It's like, I get it. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And when you look at the life of the disciples afterwards, they lived it out. They had their belief, their actions, and uh, their, their eternity. And so what we see from here is that Jesus offends us so that he can cut through our information blindness. So he can disrupt our preconceived ideas of who we think he is. Jesus offends us so that he can save us because he understands our belief determines our actions which have an effect on our destiny. So now I've got two personal stories that I want to share of kind of how this actually plays out uh, today, like actually today. We have this thing coming up, and I'm sure that you guys have heard about it, this kids' camp that's coming up in about four weeks. And we have probably 185, almost 200 students, uh, kids, who are signed up for this camp. And it's amazing. Like, we are working with a couple other churches to build this massive, beautiful set design up here. We have all the resources that people have donated. People have donated their time. Uh, there's been a lot of effort and stuff put into this camp right? They have uh, stuff from Bible stories that they're learning and some take-homes that they're going to actually take with them. And it's this idea that we believe that kids should hear about who Jesus is. Because at that young age, it affects them, it affects their families, it affects their communities, it affects their destiny. It's important that kids believe the proper things about Jesus. And so we put all this resource into it. And so we have all these people who've donated all this stuff but in order for this camp to work, we need this position called crew leaders, right? And these crew leaders are the most important person in camp because they hang out with five to eight kids uh, for three hours a day. Uh, they hang out with them. They move them from station to station. Uh, they actually have the discussions with them. If someone comes to Christ, it's probably with one of these crew leaders. And we need 35 to 40 crew leaders. As of today, we have two. And I'm like, I believe that this is important. I believe that these kids are important, being exposed to proper belief in Jesus. It's important. We have almost everything that we need. How come we only have two crew leaders? And so I'm asking you, you've heard us talk about this for weeks now. Do you believe that this is important? 
And if you do, is there any action that you can take to help us to give these kids the proper opportunity to believe who Jesus is? If so, meet me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about that. Or you can head over, head over to the kids' area, uh, and they'd love to talk to you about that as well. The second story you have, the one is a little bit more personal. A few years ago, uh, I had a situation in my life. Um, eh, I just called it the rough patch, to be nice. Um, everything that I had known had fallen apart. My life was in shambles. It was not where I thought I was going to be. And at that point in time, I had a good friend of mine uh, who was kind of hanging out with me. He was making sure that I was alive and that uh, things were still okay. And we'd go out for every once in a while for a meal. And so this particular day, we were going out for uh, beers and burritos. And at that time, we're like, okay, we're going to have, because he's a good friend, we have all these deep theological, philosophical conversations. And I'm not sure if it was the burrito sauce or what was going on, but our topic for that particular discussion was if Jesus were to actually be a person today and to have a job or profession, what profession today actually, actually accurately represents who Jesus is? And I thought maybe a nurse or maybe a, a doctor who heals or maybe it was going to be like a, a psychologist to make sure that you're, you're thinking properly. Like, What would it be? And my friend gave an answer and I, I don't really remember what that answer was, but I remember my answer was because I thought it was absolutely profound. I thought if Jesus was going to be living today and have a profession, his profession would be a personal trainer. You know? That person who, you, who looks at you and says, yeah, you're not really what you should be, but I'm going to help you get there. You know? That person that you pay to yell at you to get you in shape. You know, so you can get those nice little abs and you post those Instagram photos, you know, like... That's who I think Jesus would be. He looks at you and says, you could do it. You can do it. One more rep. One more lap. That's who he is. Always encouraging us to be our better self. That's who I thought Jesus would be. And so after the conversation was done, we went home. I still had this thing in the back of my mind. Is, is that really who I think Jesus is? Is that really my belief of who I think he would be? And then I realized in the midst of my rough patch, for those moments when I'm at home and I'm alone, when I'm sad, I'm in my room, I'm in my corner crying because I can't understand what is going on. In those moments, Jesus isn't coming to me saying, one more rep. He's not coming to me saying, pick it up, princess, you can do this. In those moments, I believe Jesus came to me. He puts his arms on me, and he says, I love you. I know this is tough, but we can make this together. Like Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me and you comfort me. Your, your staff and your rod, they comfort me. That's who I believe Jesus to be. And because of that belief, I take the actions that I do here as the family pastor, overseeing children and youth and families, so that they can have that belief in Jesus that affects their eternity. They can understand how he wants to nurture and inspire your life of discipleship so that people can understand how revealing Jesus in your life can help to restore you in many ways so that you can live that life of joy. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Because of that belief, what actions will you take to not only affect yours, but others and their destiny? In a moment, um, the band's gonna come back and they're gonna have a song that's a response to this. And I know that there are some people here, the song that we're gonna sing is This I Believe. And it's a great song because the song literally is proper, correct belief about who Jesus is and who God is. And so if you're here today and 
you know who Jesus is. You have that belief and it's effective for your life. I'm gonna ask you to sing that song with all that you have. Fully get in there and fully worship with all that you have. Some of you here today might have that incorrect belief of who Jesus is. Maybe Jesus is just a good speaker. Maybe he's a political figure. Maybe he's someone who just supplies your needs. If that's who it is, I pray that as we sing this song, the words will come into your spirit. The Holy Spirit would speak to you about who he really is. Some of you have no idea who Jesus is. Maybe you just walked in here because you found out that we're gonna have coffee and snacks afterwards. That's okay. This is a process and this is a journey. All I'm gonna say is that I hope that the offense that you have to who Jesus is and what he says will be things that actually help to move you to better belief, to a belief that is correct, that's not just comfortable to a belief that helps you affect not only yours, but your community's destiny as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are never comfortable to leave us where we're at. You want the best for us in terms of who we are and particularly in terms of our beliefs because you know that that affects everything. And so I just pray for everyone here today. If they're offended by you, I pray that they're offended for the right reasons. I pray that you would shift and move and change their beliefs to be accurate to who you actually are so that they can take the appropriate actions to affect the eternity, not just of themselves, but of their family, of their community, of our city, and of the world. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.